Uh, no. Vitalik is great. Uh, Casper's a friendly ghost, so not much to say about him. Welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. This is roundtable number four. The topic is going to be censorship, particularly how crypto is going to play a role in censorship's future, what's going on around the current events. With me today are my two co-hosts, Brent Philbin. Oh, hello. And Kareem Baruke. Hello. For those of you that are unfamiliar with our version of roundtable discussions, it's more of a free-flowing conversation with hosts and occasionally guests on the topic of choice. Hopefully, we can outweigh the pros, cons, and trade-offs on the topic. So without further ado, Brent, let's move on to some of the current events and headlines of this episode. Well, in this episode, you can look forward to KuCoin being a problem, Casper getting pushback, Vitalik talking about the 99%, an update on the IOTA drama, and we have a roundtable about censorship. Thank you, DJ Brent. Very, very good. DJ Brent in the house. I'm sorry, DJ Chubby Crypto. Whoa, whoa, what's up? Oh, that's a good DJ name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more your stage name I would go for. Hey, hey. No, that would be Crypto Chubby. <clears throat> I see, I There's see. a big difference Alrighty. in the order. <laughs> that's what they all say. All right, looks like there isn't a ton of announcements we want to cover this week, so let's just move on to coin news. Brent, start off with KuCoin. What happened when somebody took a little trip to their headquarters? Okay. So I know that we had some some KuCoin uh, issues back months ago. I mean, like, we're talking right at the beginning of the podcast. I remember we had a KuCoin referral link, and there was enough somewhat pinkish flags, not total red flags at the time. That we decided we're not willing to have the KuCoin referral link on our website anymore. We took it off right away. Little did we know that nobody would ever click on the referral links anyways. But we made the decision to go ahead and take that off because we were a little bit worried. Well, one of the things that led us to that decision was that they were supposed to be based in Hong Kong and somebody said that they weren't. Well, they've gone a step further and somebody went to their Hong Kong offices and they're empty. There's nothing in the offices. They, they're they like doing that like virtual office thing and there's nothing there. So they released the pictures and they're like, there's nobody at the KuCoin office. On top of that, there's they're having issues handling mainnet swaps like VeChain. It took them six months to do the ontology uh, mainnet. They're still stuck with Thor. They're not you can't cash your VeChain out, even though they said they were going to handle it. They released a statement. They're like, oh, this is no problem, guys. I'm going to actually uh, read the statement. There's been rumors on that KuCoin's central address office in Hong Kong is empty. In fact, KuCoin's public address in Hong Kong is merely a mailing address of one of KuCoin's many subsidiary companies. KuCoin's headquarters is in Singapore. KuCoin has always been a global firm with over 300 employees and four major offices in China, the Philippines, Singapore, and Thailand. KuCoin has been growing at an incredible speed, and we will be growing even faster in the future. We are grateful for all of the support from our community, and stay tuned for some incredible news, which we will release soon. That was their statement to this, to what happened here. That's great news. There's no problem, and they have good news coming. Opening (laughs) shut case, Johnson. 
Like, not only did they just try to, like, hand wave this, they're like, oh, yeah, we've always been in Singapore, even though they, like, part of their tilt was that they were a Hong Kong-based company. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've always been in Singapore. It's fine. By the way, guys, big announcement coming soon. (laughs) Where have we seen that before? For sure. This is all, like, really, really bad news and, and red flags. But just I wanted to mention, I read an article that said there were actually two different companies working at the location where they're address was supposed to be and one of those companies actually is part of their umbrella i'm not saying that this is you know a reason to not take this as really bad news at all but i thought that that was a little interesting and and different than how you're delivering that a little bit i have not seen that information i looked at i don't know what that was but those offices what what they were and we have them in america too are like executive suites or something where you pay for a mailing address in a certain uh, locality. So you pay for a New York address, you pay for a an LA address. So especially if you're a tech company and you want to make it look like you're out of LA, you pay for the addresses. And if you go to the buildings, they have like a receptionist. You can like say, oh, sorry, they're not in today, but we'll take your message or whatever. And uh, that's kind of how those work on our side. But in on the Hong Kong side, it was just empty. Do your own research. I don't know anything about this. The fact that one of their companies may have been hanging out there. I don't know. I'm not saying this isn't a big deal at all. I'm just pointing. And I might have misread something for sure, but I'll I'll look that up real quick. I think I know where I found it. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty break-even, right? Like, it seems totally reasonable for some companies to have just some offices that they're using for zip code purposes or whatever. And then also, it could seem pretty bad if they're making it like, yeah, we're headquartered out of here. This is where we are. I don't know. I guess I'm not familiar enough with KuCoin for this to give me a, a solid read in either direction. Or a solid flag. Well, they responded to this. So, like I said, this was part of the FUD before. Like, there was already an issue with them being located in Hong Kong. So, they kind of hand-waved it away last time. And they're like, we're there. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like, we are in Hong Kong. Because somebody found one of their other companies somewhere else. And they're like, this isn't Hong Kong. So, (laughs) the, the narrative is already turning to they're now based in Singapore. They've always been based in Singapore. Anyway, that coupled with their software, I would say, if you have money on there, get it off and use some other exchange for now until we see whether KuCoin is going to, you know, go under. But apparently last night I was seeing posts about withdrawals being a problem, but that was only, that was different coins. It wasn't necessarily like Bitcoin or anything. So I don't know if that's related. Mm, That's unfortunate. So you're saying like the withdrawals might have been associated with that specific chain and not with KuCoin. Right. Yeah. I know they're having issues with like VeChain. I know they're having issues with with Ontology. I knew they had issues with Nano. So I I don't know which current issues they're having. Yeah. I mean, KuCoin's been one of those sites that we... We wanted to like because it, it had a lot of the, the features that we kind of did like in a crypto. But the more we looked into it, we, as a podcast, decided it was not something we could endorse. And, you know, please just keep doing your research and don't keep money on exchanges. Yeah. Don't keep money in exchanges, boys and girls. We've already covered that. All right. Next up, there's an interesting update with Casper and Vitalik has a new proposed algorithm. Brent, what do you got here? I wish I understood this more. I just felt like it was important to get this out there. Casper has been pushed back to about the year 2020. However, they've also changed what Casper's doing. So it it is a little bit funny that a lot of people have said there's no way Casper is coming this year. And it's been like, you know, kind of dangling out there for a while. They've got the difficulty bomb and everything. But 
they're pushing it back. It's going back to 2020. So Casper is basically the when Ethereum is going to turn into some percentage of proof of stake. So Vitalik also proposed a new a new proof of stake algorithm that I don't quite understand, but it would basically mean that the network, in order to be attacked, would have to have ninety nine percent of the network uh, purchased. In in order to do that, ninety nine percent. Yeah, so it wouldn't be a fifty one percent attack anymore. It would need to be a ninety nine percent attack. And after one hour, even a ninety nine percent attack would be uh, very difficult to cre- to create. So basically, like instead of computers logging transactions in the past, I guess they're they're monitoring them uh, in real time. It, he gre- he got this algorithm from a paper that was written in the eighties and was able to like kind of make it work for blockchain. And it it gives you a ninety nine percent likelihood that the transaction is real too. So you can take an instant transaction and not have a problem with double spend. And if you're taking a big transaction, like if you're buying a house or something, all you have to do is wait an hour and you're good. That's what he's proposed. We'll leave the links in the show notes. I wish I understood more about this and understood how to really explain this. I'm sure we're going to do an episode on this, probably an update on Ethereum, if it becomes like definitely something that's going to happen. For now, it's just a really cool theoretical. The uh, We've linked both an article explaining it and Vitalik's actual paper on the subject. What I like about this is that they are really like trying to look at what the other top options in crypto are doing. In my opinion, maybe it's not directly correlated, but it has to be from the same theory base that Zencash got their secure nodes from, you know, lowering the the operating costs for a node down to 32 ETH, while ETH is significantly more valuable per unit than Zencash is, still with the total supply of Ethereum, I'm pretty sure is um, larger than the total supply of Zencash. So financially, this would be more expensive to own the nodes, but I believe there'd be a lot more potential nodes in the network. And depending on how they choose to reward a lot of little nodes, this is a very interesting you know, twist that could allow a lot of security and safety on the network, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's not that different from a super node on the Zencash network. But anyway, overall, this is good. You know, like uh, 2020 does sound like a lot further away than it is. I feel that way. Like, I think when I hear 2020, it just sounds like really far off into the future. But when you think about the fact that, I mean, it's already August. It's 15 months. 18. Yeah, that's not even that much. It's really, um, especially for something this size. I like the idea, obviously, of something having, <laughs> needing a 99% of the network in order to do a successful attack. Obviously, that's fantastic. I don't know any of the theory behind it. I can't comment on it. Uh, it would be interesting to see that implemented. Yeah, all in all, this might slow things down for a little bit, but I don't think it's a ridiculous time frame. I'm not super surprised that it got pushed back. Uh, and in the context of the long term, I still see hopefully doing some pretty amazing things. So, Brian, I just want to ask you a question here real quick. So, the... The approximate one hour for complete certainty, that has to do with any transaction? Uh, I, yeah, I think so. Or was that in reference to, I just wanted to make sure you worded this properly. If Let's say somebody did obtain 99% of the network. Were you saying that because the nodes are monitored, they would have to obtain them for like a full hour before they could perform the tech? Yeah, they couldn't that- like, I, I, I wish I understood that. So, so basically like, I think they can't just like rent a ton of the power and try to do this, but somebody is going to be acting responsibly inside the network. And apparently like, 
I don't know. Just what I was reading is one hour was all you needed to make sure of 100% certainty that a giant transaction was fine, like buying a house. I don't understand why. Like, maybe we'll have uh, Vitalik on the show. I know he's really close to us. So we'll just, we'll just reach out to him. We'll all kind of start clapping and be like, hey, man, what's up, buddy? Or your friend. No, but th- th- this is cool. We'll definitely, when more details come out about this, we'll probably do, it'll be a good opportunity to do our follow-up on Ethereum or see how things are developing. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a little too expensive. If it was cheaper, I would probably be saying that I'll start saving up for an Ethereum node. Um, but I think we're already looking at like 25K. So if you have an extra 25K that you have nothing to do with and you would like Crypto Basic to run an Ethereum node for you. Uh, actually, never mind. I don't. I don't think we're anywhere near twenty five k. Ethereum's like three hundred dollars right now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's. Oh, I thought Ethereum was like a. Oh, I guess the markets have been getting crushed. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that Kareem literally has no idea that like prices are back to November two thousand seventeen. <laughs> oh, nice! Everything's on discount, huh? Uh, yep. Yeah, that that just go that shows you Kareem's investment strategy. When he says he literally just puts it in there and he doesn't look at it and he doesn't touch it and he doesn't worry about price fluctuations. I did the math and it was like I was like, oh, thirty-two Ethereum times how much is Ethereum? I don't know, eight <laughs> hundred. <laughs> I remember those days. It's- I don't know. I don't know if you guys ever saw Arrested Development, but there's this great line where like one of the characters, she's like this rich out of touch, and she's like. Come on, Michael. It's one banana. How much can it cost? $20? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So price today of Ethereum is $320, Kareem. But you were very close. Oh, wow. On Monday, 813. Wow. So <laughs> $300? Yeah. So that's actually much more affordable. 12000 and I can save up until 2020? Game on. Well, there's three of us. So you'd only need a third of that. I want it all. Yum, 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 yum. All right, I'll let you guys in. 10%. You guys got to put a 20%. You're so good. Uh, you're, were you charging right. markup on your Ethereum node? Yeah, because I'll be responsible and not sell it for you guys the moment Ethereum spikes <laughs> in price. Very responsible of you. Anything else we want to touch on on Vitalik or Casper? Uh, no, Vitalik is great. Uh, Casper's a friendly ghost, so not much to say about him. Let's move on. All right. Next up, uh, we covered some IOTA drama recently. Brent, I know this is one of your favorite topics. Why don't you update us a little bit on what's going on behind the scenes there? Yeah, this was just really quick because when we released that on the flagship, they said they were going to have a memorandum of understanding over the weekend that basically said they were going to take care of this stuff. Uh, They hadn't had it as of Monday, 8.13. We started recording at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Now... They did release something in their Discord that said it would be released later in the day. Ralph also released something over the weekend that said they've come to an agreement that all five people will be on the board, and they're in agreement of 85% of everything else. So that's it. They just I felt like it was important to update that because we kind of left it hanging a little bit there, but we'll see. And no news about what he was really worried about that would come out no of course not they're not going to address that they're they're going to completely leave that and be like oh no no that was what do you mean so maybe they will address that maybe they will make something up but whatever he was really talking about we're not going to find out so i can't wait for this this movie to come out in 10 years man this is going to be awesome (laughs) 
You know, you know what they're doing about that movie right now? They're sitting in a room with sticky notes planning that movie. They're like, all right, guys, we're gonna have we're gonna make this movie. Let's have a meeting. Everybody grab the closest thing that's not a chair, and we're gonna put post-it notes up on <laughs> Oh, we don't have a wall. Let's lift that table up and put it on there. All right. That's how the movie gets started. And then when they called David Sostenbo, he was all like, You gonna make a movie about IOTA? And you're not gonna use real chairs? <laughs> oh, fucking cryptocurrency genius. <laughs> you're just like MIT. They didn't have chairs there either. I I feel like this is a ticking time bomb. I think we've discussed that. You know, I guess I haven't really, you know, made it crystal clear on this particular episode. I know we're updating. If, if you're not following along with this, uh, we're not huge fans of IOTO. I don't like the way the team operates. And while they may be geniuses, they may have, they may eventually create a great product. I just think that there's so many really big, arrogant personalities that are at the top of that organization that it's just trickling its way down. It's, it's causing tremors and earthquakes throughout the business. I just don't see them holding, holding it all together. Yeah. And not to mention the coordinator is not even close to coming off, which was, you know, always like supposed to be about to happen. All right, so let's move on to the the featured roundtable discussion. Let's move on to the topic of censorship. Do either of you have a strong opinion on the overarching topic? Is there any particular stories that have come out recently that have inspired you guys to have this conversation? What's going on? I'll, I'll lead off, Mike. I'll lead off with the backup introduction as well. So when we came up with the idea of the roundtable discussion, we, of course, decided that we were going to take turns picking topics so last week brent picked a topic so of course within 30 minutes of finishing that recording brent hit us up with the topic for the next round table so brent you wanted to keep talking about social media you're real passionate about your your boy alex jones here my boy he censored (laughs) talk to us talk to us brent what inspired this episode so listen, what I what I look for is for this roundtable style stuff. It's stuff that matters to the crypto community, but also matters to the overarching world, and stuff that is going to be in that that minute area where it's really hard to come up with a good answer. So here's what the impetus of this was. This douchebag Alex Jones got taken off of like everything. He got pulled off of iTunes, he got pulled off of YouTube, he's basically he's being censored and if you're not familiar with this guy he is he's just one of those conspiratorial like scumbags that will tell you that columbine isn't real that everybody was a paid actor that said that anything bad happened to them he and he says that for every single like school shooting every single tragedy it's all like a narrative to take away guns or something it's it's ridiculous so he, I, I haven't listened to a lot of his stuff any of his stuff, but I know this is kind of like what he does. I was torn and I wanted to talk to you gentlemen about this because despite the fact that he's a piece of shit, I found myself feeling that he should probably not be censored. So I don't know where the line is. I hadn't been overly familiar with this topic prior to, you know, Brent bringing this up. So I, I was doing a little research last night and what I kept finding was the idea that what this topic really is more than anything else is there is an absolute monopoly on what is considered the news in 2018. Whether you get your news from Facebook, whether you get your news from YouTube videos, those things like 
are significantly more powerful than what I would consider most TV stations or radio stations in this day and age. So you have centralized companies that are not regulated under the same umbrella that other media corporations are, even though we're not a fan of other media corporations, they're regulated in a completely different manner than something like Facebook or YouTube is. So when a company becomes so large, how can you really control what they're censoring and what they're not? My understanding of this particular person's type of speech, it's very hateful. It's very aggressive. It's very conspiracy theory driven. And, you know, I, I believe what what I had understood, one of the things that, that crossed the line, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, was that not only was he um, whistleblowing on an event like Sandy Hook, uh, the school shooting, but he was also like revealing names of people and like giving addresses of victims. And I, there's a term for this that I, is escaping me right now. Doxing. Doc, that's the exact word I was looking for. So that apparently is why he's crossing the line recently and why he's being, you know, one of the reasons he's being pointed at as to why this is happening. But at the same time, once they pull all this stuff, well, where's the proof that this is what he did? It's kind of not really evident anymore. So did he actually do it? Who knows? It's a very complex topic. Yeah. So I do think that it's a complex topic. And one of the reasons it gets complicated is because it is Alex Jones. Um, it's an interesting first case scenario because it's one of the clearest cases where you could argue that he deserves it in a little bit. So again, I know everybody already gave a, gave a primer, but, um, and I know you just used this word, uh, kind of casually, Mike, but for example, I wouldn't use the term whistleblowing because he doesn't have any insider information that he's sharing, right? He was just conspiratorially, um, talking about Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook is where a bunch of children got murdered by somebody bringing a gun to a school and Alex Jones actually went on a multi-week tirade where he was telling his audience, these people are liars, they're all crisis actors, this is a false flag operation by the government to try to take away your guns. Now, honestly, that is kind of sensitive material because we are in a country, whatever your position is, where mass shootings and gun control is a very sensitive topic. And wherever you stand on it, you know, for example, our, we do live in a country that has an amendment that says you have the right to have a weapon. That is part of this country's constitution. But to have somebody saying that kind of stuff that people are being lied to when they're the victims of a tragedy, it's rough, right? So this guy also said uh, he, he was a big proponent of the Pizzagate conspiracy. That was the idea that there was a D.C. child molestation and prostitution ring. And one of his listeners showed up with a gun to this place to try to stop what was happening. In Parkland, the Florida high school teenager, uh, David Hoff, he accused him of being a crisis actor. And a lot of his audience is now engaging in harassment. So all of that is to say Alex Jones is basically... Not only spreading misinformation, but he does it in a hateful way. He does hate speech. He does doxing. He does cyberbullying. So basically, every standard of conduct that we have agreed to, Alex Jones puts himself right in the center of it um, as far as like it's justifiable to, quote unquote, censor him. But that's where I have problem with it because we're opening a very dangerous door if we decide that private companies get to decide who has speech and who hasn't. And then I guess the way, one of the things that I want to kick off to you guys is I always hate it when there's a comparison that is, in my opinion, technical, but not practical. And to give you an example, people often talk about the DNC and the RNC. They get away with doing things that they shouldn't. 
And one of the things people say is like, well, the DNC is a private company. So is the RNC. They're private entities. Yeah, the DNC is the Democratic National Committee and the RNC is the Republican National Committee. So since they're they're technically not government bodies, so they get to do some stuff that would be considered shady, right? So like on the Democratic side, you could say, oh, well, they're manipulating who can run and who can do this. And same thing with the RNC. So the counter to that is these are private institutions. And that's what a lot of people are saying online is, well, listen, Facebook is private. Google is private. All of these are private companies. So they should reserve the right to do whatever they want. But now my question is, is it really fair to just treat something like Facebook or like the DNC as a private entity when it, number one, clearly has such a monopoly over a huge part of our society, and number two, it affects public life so clearly? Like, I just don't buy the argument that Google and Facebook can do whatever they want because they're a private company because they're too big for us to not pretend that they don't influence all our lives. They're just not your average private you know, it's not like your local mom and pop business. We're all in agreement that Alex Jones is, is a shitbird and the world will be better off without him, right? So that's why it's such a tough spot because it leaves the door open. So now Facebook has gotten rid of him. And Facebook, for instance, let's say they hate everything Trump related, right? And now the new the election's happening in 2020 and they just decide, yeah, let's find as many like loopholes in our terms and conditions as we can for any popular Trump supporters because we don't want him to win the election again because he's bad for the country. So let's just silence those particular parts. And th if they come up with a good reason, like, oh, they were, vi they were violating terms and conditions, they were swearing too much or they were doing whatever, now they can have a direct heavy-handed effect on the election and and be operating under the umbrella of, oh, hey, no, we're just doing, we're just enforcing terms and conditions. It's fine. Let's forget just for the second that this guy is the shitbird that he is. If you really want to take these types of hate speech and this type of organized, you know, malicious intent, if you want to look at this and just try to censor it, guess what happens? It brings way more attention to the subject than ever before. I literally never knew who this guy was. My life would have been better off not ever knowing who this guy was. But guess what? This story is brought to my attention. Luckily, I'm not the type of guy that's going to fall into like this type of cult organization. But how many more people is he gathering by allowing this to just grow to such a magnitude where it's become? The only way, in my opinion, that if you really want to debunk these guys is to give them the platform to have their place, but then just put something, a viable, better alternative right next to it. And ultimately, you have to let the people decide what they want to put their faith into. I think there's certainly some truth to that, Mike, because um, especially like maybe not people who hadn't heard of Alex Jones. But there's got to be a section of his audience that is kind of in the periphery. Maybe somebody that listens to him from time to time and thinks, oh, this is more like entertainment or something. But they like it. Maybe they lean in that way. And then once something like this happens, it actually lends a lot of credence to his conspiracy theories that the world order is trying to shut him down. And I'm sure that he does get more passionate followers out of that. Now, I guess I feel like one of the really tough parts for me is I don't care so much about somebody sharing their opinion. All right. So I may have an extreme view on when it comes to this, but I maybe I'll take uh, free speech a little bit too far. But I do think that people should be allowed to practice hate speech, unfortunately, uh, even though I don't contone it. I 
believe that every single time that we've started to restrict people's freedom of speech, it has turned out for the worse. So I would rather somebody be willing to practice hate speech and then just be able to, like you said, Mike, stand next to them and shut them down. Let people see what a ridiculous, hateful piece of human garbage this person is. Here's where I have a problem, though. I do think that there should be some type of constraint in the spreading of fake information, pretending that it's fact. And here's where I specifically think it's a problem, right? Alex Jones has had multiple court cases. One of the court cases that he has that he's dealing with right now is that the parents of the Sandy Hook victims, so the children who were murdered at the school, who then Alex Jones accused them of being actors. And then his listeners would find out who some of these parents were and would actually send them hate mail and harass them because, again, his listeners believe that these are actors who are doing this to try to get their guns, right? Now, here's where I think is a huge problem. In cases like this and also in a case where he was fighting for his children's custody in court, Alex Jones made it very clear that he plays a character. That was his argument in court. Like once the legal system was confronting him, his argument is, oh, that's not me. That's I don't believe these things. This is just a character. It's no different than watching Rick and Morty or South Park. I'm a fictional character with fictional opinions. The problem that I have with that, though, is that that's not said anywhere on the show. His listeners don't know that. And unless they're following his personal legal cases closely, they don't even know that he says that he's a fictional character. I guess the part where I have a little bit of a a more of a problem is you're now crossing from the threshold of like, hey, everybody, this is my opinion to telling everybody, hey, everybody, these are the facts. And then I can tell the government, by the way, I know I'm not telling facts. These are all lies. I'm not liable for anything that happens. I know I'm lying. It's an act. And then you turn around and you keep pretending that you're not an act. That's the one area where I do feel like there should be some kind of rule like you know, it's kind of like a parental advisory warning or entertainment warning. Like if you and me and Brent have to tell everybody every single damn episode that we're not <laughs> financial advisors, I feel like he should be forced to to have a disclaimer that says this is not news. It's for entertainment purposes only. And then whatever. Go be a, a diabolical clown if that's your thing. You know, everybody gets to decide what they want to be in life. <laughs> a diabolical clown is the best best description I've heard of anybody today. How does this tie into blockchain? Well, remember, this is remember what happened in China. Their government was trying to sh- shut down the free speech there. Their government had a problem with what they were doing. What was that story? They were uh It was it was a corruption charge, and this also happened with Me Too blogs. Yes. Okay. The government didn't like that. Now, our our government may like certain things. Our Facebook creators might might like certain things. They might not like other things. That government said, We're getting out of here. Boom. So they put it on the blockchain. Another one of the big reasons that cryptocurrency and blockchain and all the ledger technology, the the D word on the front, distributed. Distributed ledger. <laughs> I can't think. It's early. Distributed ledger technology is so important. And we really need to get like a, a social media going. It's why things like DTube or what uh, what's that other one that, uh, that CryptoCander goes on all the time? Uh, library? Ooh, I don't Oh yeah, library. yeah, LBRY. Yeah, I, yeah. It's why those are super important. Like we have a downvote button. What? How much better would Facebook be if when these if when your friends that are idiots on there talking about anti-vax and whatever the fuck they're talking about, you could just downvote them instead of like them with an angry face, and they get more likes. Like 
if there was a downvote algorithm, Facebook would be would be censored by the people. You would just downvote the shit that sucks and you wouldn't have this problem. But a central authority should not be able to d- decide where the censorship is. Brent, do you really believe that Facebook is a good place for a downvote downvote button? I really don't. What? Yeah. What? Why would it not be a good place for a downvote button? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that like gets upset if somebody unfriends them on Facebook? Uh, oh yeah, dude. This is like it will be a literal national crisis if Facebook has a downvote button. Everybody's gonna get so offended. Everybody's gonna get so like everybody's gonna get in fights with their friends. It's gonna be super obnoxious because I'm gonna freely downvote plenty of things that I feel like downvoting and I'm going to end up getting in a ton of fights. I'm going to look like Brent and it's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> okay, Mike. So I have a question for you just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Um, I would argue that we do have a national crisis right now. Like on Facebook, there is, I mean, forget about just Facebook. We have a situation where people live in information pockets, information bubbles. There are like complete echo chambers for the left, for the right, for the racist, for the communist, for whatever you think of, there's an echo chamber. We're probably more fragmented than we've ever been. So maybe like a down button would cause some commotions on Facebook, for example. But I would say we already have some major problems with the current spread of information. Well, of course, nobody's going to disagree with that. And and to your point, I think it's a lot of just tribalism that humans are used to in their in their history, just showing itself in a unique way through technology. We like to be in smaller cliques of people. We don't like to we don't like to be in thousands. We like to be in, you know, less than 100 with people that we like that have the same thoughts and feelings and emotions and beliefs. These all like tie in together. I think that's natural for humans to just find people that they they align with. Can it go too far? Yes. Do I think censorship is the right answer? I really don't. And, you know, I've already explained why I would much rather leave a fully open free speech option for both sides. Um, but something else I was thinking about, have you guys seen a Law & Order episode that – a Law & Order SVU episode that depicted who I'm guessing is this guy? Have either of you seen that by any chance? I've never seen an episode of Law & Order – any any of the like eight different ones that they have. Okay, so I've seen a ton of the the special victims unit one, and they made an episode of who I believe to probably be a real character, and he matches the description of this guy completely. So I bet there's a a fake episode spinoff that depicts this guy. Maybe I'll. Yeah, no. Look, overall though, I agree with the main concept that I want solutions that don't involve the company just shutting them down. And by the way, not everybody did shut him down. I don't know if you guys know, but Twitter hasn't shut him down. And the CEO actually has some interesting quotes. I He tweeted out his quotes. That makes sense, right? For the CEO. Uh, yeah, well, Jack tweets, yeah. He wrote, we didn't suspend Alex Jones or InfoWars. We know that that's hard for many, re- for many people, but the reason is simple. He hasn't violated our rules. Uh, truth is, we've been terrible at explaining our decisions in the past. We're fixing that. We're, ho- we're going. We're going to hold Jones to the same standard that we hold every account. No, not taking one-off actions to make us feel good in the short term, and adding fuel to new conspiracy theories. I actually, wow, like that. I like that a lot too. Real quick, in- interestingly, the first comment. They're also running a giveaway. Like th- Twitter is giving away some Ethereum. <laughs> To celebrate this decision. Oh, my Jack God. Jack giving away Ethereum. Remember Vitalik asked Jack to handle this directly, and now they're doing yeah. it to Jack? No, no. I don't even know if that's what is happening. I just I think thought it was funny. Was just 
trying to throw in a joke. Oh, that would be really funny if it were happening. So one of the things that I remember Facebook doing, I don't know if I heard them talk about it or if they actually implemented because I haven't been on Facebook in a while that much. But the idea was that if you shared a news story, uh, I thought they had like, they were thinking about a disclaimer that would say like the accuracy of this story has been disputed or something like that. I feel like maybe some something like that is just so hard to figure out who would be the the entity or the group determining how valid some of these uh, were, you know, because some stories are more factual, yes and no, but some other ones, I could just easily see two different groups of people reading it and one of them being like, nope, this is fake. And the other one being like, nope, this is the word of God. <laughs> so let me ask you guys, like, it's real easy to say, hey, blockchain is going to solve this. That's a super easy thing to say. How do you see this actually being solved, though? Is there any like, yeah, Steam itself is immutable to my understanding and is part of the solution. But, you know, we're so far away from any sort of blockchain social media sites being mass adopted, in my opinion. Where where does this where do we go from here? It's just that I though I think though I mean you're I think you're right that we are a long time away from a decentralized social media platform being adopted. Okay. But I don't think that we are in a path other than that. And I think that there's so many pressures that are going to steer it in that direction. Look, what's the big scandal of the day right now when you're looking at something like Facebook and all that shit? It's data. How how is Facebook going to restructure their business model in a way that respects user data when literally their bus- their business model is to cannibalize user data like they just can't they're they're in a spot where our needs as consumers are directly opposed to them as a business model and it's all blown up the election was a catalyst but it's all kinds of things so i do think that these platforms will thrive uh, eventually, there will be enough people on there. And once you get to a platform, even right now, you can't really silence him effectively because all that's happening is a bunch of people are being steered towards his app so that they can listen to him on his application. Well, once you have decentralized platforms where there is no person in charge to say, we're going to block him off, then how are we going to handle it from there? That is the thing. I do think that as a society, we need to be able to deal with hate speech and ignorance and misinformation Without a hammer, there's got to be other tools that we need to be able to implement. Because ultimately what will happen is whoever we give that hammer to will start using that hammer for their own benefit, not for society's benefit. And that is, I mean, it's like inescapable. People will use the power that they have to benefit themselves. So one of the ways that you already see this kind of censorship, by the way, whether you're on the right or the left, there are people on the left, for example, that are very anti-military intervention for, let's say, humanitarian reasons. And there are people on the right, the real right, in my opinion, who are anti-intervention because it's more about taking care of their own country and not spending money in unnecessary wars. But if you give somebody the tool and they can benefit from that intervention, all of a sudden you can start getting censorship on anybody that criticizes war. And then just saying that it's about terms and conditions is irrelevant because in the terms and conditions, it says, don't talk about these topics, don't promote war. So you're already seeing it with algorithms of YouTube channels that will censor or demonetize anybody that talks about news because, hey, if you're talking about ISIS or if you're talking about war in Syria, or if you're talking about Yemen, you're automatically talking about war, and it automatically gets demonetized. So I just feel like this is a really powerful weapon that we're debating who should have. 
All right, I had two things here. One, Kareem got so heated in what he was just saying there that he took off his top layer of clothing. He, like in the middle of what he's saying, he's just like ripping his ripping his hoodie off or whatever that was. He's like, ah, yeah, and another and another thing, and he's like throwing stuff over his shoulder. It was pretty cool. Here's the thing about the people in centralized power abusing it, quote unquote. They they're not gonna think they're they're not even gonna think they're doing that. They're gonna be like, no, I'm in power, and obviously anti-vaxxers are idiots, so I need to protect everybody from that. I'm just gonna stop letting them post stuff. They're going to think that they're doing what's best for everybody, but it, like Mike said, there's going to be a very uh, distinct, like almost check boxes of things that they like. They're going to like the people that like those things, and the people that don't like those things, they're going to be like, well, they're just wrong. And it's it takes a very interesting kind of person to go outside of that and be like, nah, we should do this differently. In fact, I would say that those people, for the most part, don't exist, even if they think they do. So it's really hard. Like, like Jack is doing a good job of saying, look, we're not going to censor this. But, like, at the same time, everybody's getting scammed with ETH uh, bots and stuff. So it's like, it's so, it, it, these topics are so, so, like, what's the word here? I'm holding up little fingers. So, uh, tiny. These topics are so nuanced. <laughs> oh, duh, Kareem. You should add that. Wait, what What did Kareem say? Tiny. Tiny. Oh. Because you were going like this. But of course, this is nuance. Yeah, yeah, this. Clearly, guys. This means nuance, right? And this means potato. Anyway. <laughs> this means help. <laughs> All right. So listen, I'll take it even one further, Brent, where I know that you're being, like, you're allowing for the most generous possible interpretation. And I think that it's a smart way to do things. But I'll go even further and say, no, yes. The people who would be using that power eventually to squash dissent would know exactly what they're doing. Like, I'm not saying that, yes, there will be tiny little steps along the way where some people would do a little bit of censorship and convince themselves that they're doing what's best for whatever. But I think that if you just look, go look back in history and look what the people in power who were squashing dissent or squashing free speech were saying, not just like, in China or, or communist Russia, right here in the United States, right here, different administrations. We can go back to the Nixon administration. We can look at our own FBI. We can look at our own CIA. Everywhere. You give somebody that hammer and eventually they're going to use it for their own needs or means and they'll know that exactly what they're doing. The temptation to use that power for their benefit is going to be too great. And oftentimes, by the way, people in positions of power, they're not willing to use that hammer. They'll be replaced by somebody who is. So, yeah, we should be super worried about censorship. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, d- despite what we think about Alex Jones, I again, he should have he should have a platform. And he does. You can argue that he has a platform that's outside of YouTube and stuff. Because like you said at the beginning, we'll take this full circle back to the beginning of the argument. YouTube and iTunes are owned by independent companies, but Apple is the first trillion dollar company. They're the world's most valuable company. There is more to iTunes than just a private company not letting you post on their platform. iTunes is the reason we exist. It's the it's the reason Joe Rogan is putting out great content because uh, we're pretty much in the same category as him. So the the bottom line is. The private company thing only goes so far, and when you're out that when you're that big and you're that ubiquitous, you have a little bit more of a responsibility and 
unfortunately, you have a lot more power. Yeah, just to play off that a little bit. And, you know, when you think about how big these monopolies truly are, I, you know, I was one of the things I was looking at reminded me that Facebook had some solid competition brewing in the form of WhatsApp. And then there's like bottom for $19 billion. So yeah. when you, when you just can't have competition because the company is so massive that like any digital technology that comes around, any app, you know, you look at, you know, Google Instagram. maps and all these different, all these different things that are bought from smaller companies and just attached to their larger platform. When you basically can't be defeated as a monopoly, then yeah, like you need to be governed in a massively different way. It just needs to be understood that you're so big that you have so much power and influence over the general public that their well-being needs to be understood. But with that in mind, like I, even though I agree that Facebook and YouTube should be regulated, like I don't know that censoring is the right way to do it because I don't agree with that part. And obviously I'm not a business lawyer. I don't, I don't know what actually needs to be regulated or, or the best ways to do that, the practical ways, but something needs to change. That's why we're here. Yeah. And as we go back to the, to the aspect of the blockchain, because obviously I agree with you, Mike, they're too big. There should be some rules, but I know I could hear some people in the audience right now thinking, yeah, but what government are we really going to trust to make the right rules and the right decision and to govern them the right way? And the answer is probably none that I can think of. That is an absolutely correct counter argument. It's like, yeah, Google and Facebook are too big, but who do we trust? And that's where we can have somebody like something like cryptocurrency come in because it, I think that the power has to be taken from the bottom up. Almost in a way, I feel like that's what happened with social media where it was like, it wasn't a top-down thing where, you know, basically these barriers started breaking. And even with podcasting, like you used to have to go through centralized gatekeepers that determine whether or not people are going to hear your voice, they're gonna whether or not you're going to get a radio channel, whether or not you're going to get an album. And then the internet kind of destroyed that. Anybody could just record an MP3 and upload it, and now you find yourself listening to it, right? So I think that the solution ultimately will probably more organic like that, Mike, that we need social networks that are decentralized where there's no power structure, where you don't have one person owning the data. And when people can vote with their feet and vote with their voices, I think ultimately like things like hate speech and misinformation is just something that we're going to have to uh, deal with in other ways than just giving a small group of people a bunch of power and hope that they use it in our best interest. I don't think that that's going to ever work out. I'll make one more plea for the downvote button and why I think it's why I think it's important and why I think whatever the new social media platform is when it if and when it does replace Facebook will have it. Look at Reddit. Now, when now Reddit has its censorship issues. Reddit does Reddit used to be this whole like bastion of free speech, but then they started having to answer to shareholders and they started doing stuff like kicking out the most fringe uh communities there. They, they would ban, first they would make them like private and then they would ban them if they were like a really bad community. Um, but still, for the most part, there are, there are communities like are the Donald, for instance, on Reddit that are there as groups of people that get together and say bad things or whatever. And if you go to our all, that algorithm is in such a way now maybe they've messed with that algorithm to the point where it is getting rid of free speech i don't know but you will see that 
the when it gets to the public, when the big group of public gets to look at something, it gets downvoted. Like the the downvotes come flying in if like one of Alex Jones' posts gets a lot of traction and a lot of people are liking it. As soon as it gets to the eyes of the people that are like, this guy's a fucking shitbird, they just downvote it. So the same thing, like, I feel like the anti-vaxxers and the the idiots like that on Facebook are empowered by the fact that they can't get a dislike button. You can go in there and tell them they're an idiot, but then you're going in there and telling them they're an idiot and you're kind of in the wrong because you're being an asshole. If you can just click a downvote button when somebody shares something like that, I think they would get a lot less you know, positive feedback and maybe a lot less incentive to continue to do it. I think you definitely have a point as far as clearly the way that Reddit is structured is better for information filtering because not only do bad stories or fake stories get downvoted, but even the comments within the stories, when you have high quality comments, they tend to be upvoted. So yeah, like it's very hard for anti-vaxxer uh, garbage to become super popular on Reddit because there's just a wider community of well-informed people. But to Mike's point, though, Reddit is structured specifically to find, filter, and discuss information, whereas Facebook is built as a social network. So you're interacting with people that you know, you are interacting with people where, you know, a lot of people are just looking for, uh, like, it's not just about sharing stories and filtering them for how positive or negative or accurate they are. I could see, I could see the argument, like, Reddit is not a social network as much in that sense. And I'll just go once again, I'll, my, one of my favorite sayings because it's so true, but um, Reddit is strangers entertaining you and Facebook is people, you know, pissing you off. <laughs> Maybe if the downvote button exists, but it's anonymous. Of course, it's not the case on Facebook. If you could downvote somebody and not show them who you are, that would eliminate Mike's problem of, of you know, now you're pissing them off. So you could downvote the shit out of your dumb friends and everybody else could do it too while still commenting and not and not showing that you've like downvoted them. I want to be crystal clear. I think a downvote on Facebook would be amazing for Facebook and my experience on Facebook would be vastly improved with the downvote button. However, I'm just really going to roll my eyes if and when that day comes because it's going to create a lot of drama in my life and other people's lives and I'd rather not deal with it, but I'm going to be prepared to deal with it so on and so forth. It's okay. It's not like Mark Zuckerberg has Brent on retainer and he's like, all right, this is the third time Brent brings up the downvote and I'm going to have to implement it. You probably won't have to deal with it. Look, me, me and my boy Mark, we go back. We go back to the days when he was just a lowly, barely an automaton, not fully an android yet. <laughs> yeah, he is basically a robot. All right. So let's, let's throw this out there. Uh, what blockchain do you hope solves this problem? Ooh, I don't Here's the thing. I don't think we have one yet. Because think about how much you do on Facebook in like a five-minute period. And now every one of those needs to be a transaction broadcasted to a network. It's really tough. No, nothing is ready for that. That's like, you know, decentralized exchanges aren't ready for that kind of throughput. Uh, nothing's ready for that kind of throughput yet. Steam, in my opinion, even though it's working and it seems like a social network and it seems to be functioning, is awful. I, I've been trying to get our Steam going. I've been trying to make like comments and stuff. Steam is 100% like, hey, upvote me, I'll upvote you back. And it's ruined the experience, I think, because it has monetary incentive attached to it. So hopefully, whatever the next uh, social media is, there isn't a monetary incentive to get a bunch of group of friends together and upvote each other's things. You know, as a quick side note, guys, something that's a little bit discouraging for me is... Um 
as far as like the fake news angle of it or like people spreading misinformation, it is something that I've been passionate about. Like you guys know, I like the skeptical movement and all that. But when you think about the fact that in 2018, we still have like a flat earth movement, then I think that it's just reflective of the fact that there are aspects of human psychology that are really going to like, it means this problem's never going away. You know, like if right now we can't prove to like a group of Westerners with internet access that the earth is round, then like <laughs> what, like what, what are we going to be able to prove to people who fall under these, um, whatever we call them? You know what I mean? Do, you guys not understand what I'm saying, right? Like, if it almost it, of feels course. Like we will always not be able to prove so many things. There's a couple like philosophies here that I have. And one of them is like, I just don't see why everybody wants to help everybody or everybody wants to catch up the rest of the world because there's going to be so many people that don't want to be educated. They don't want to learn. And I've, I've said this multiple times on this show. If you haven't done your research in 2018, it's because you're like lazy like myself or because you don't want to or you just don't care enough. And if you don't care enough, you're not going to find out the info. These are types of people they want. You know, these are probably the types of people that buy those magazines at the grocery store that say, you know, who's yeah. having a baby with who and, you know. Or like who had a demon divorce- baby. <laughs> Or yeah, like all these like super crazy things like these exist for decades and decades and decades because they have their clientele. You know, there is this weird niche for guilty pleasure and and people like you said earlier, there's plenty of radicalists for sure. These, you know, a guy like Alex Jones is certainly going to create people that are going to do things that that he probably doesn't even desire. But there's also going to be a ton of people that just do it for entertainment. You can't really take away their ability for entertainment because who are we to say what's entertaining and what's not? You know, I would like to see a company such as, you know, one of the major companies decide that this is the right way to go. Like, what if Google just says, like, oh, Facebook's screwing this up. Why don't we take a hold of this decentralized option and just run with it and see what happens? I think there's just massive opportunity here that someone could take advantage of. They thought they could do that one time. It was called Google Plus or Google Wave or whatever they were calling it back then. <laughs> Completely failed. But that wasn't decentralized. But they they were like, oh, yeah, Facebook kind of sucks. Let's make a better one. And then, like, nah. And I love that everything has Google Plus integration right now. Like, whenever you go to, like, those social media sites that are like, oh, we'll help run your social media, like Buffer or Hootsuite, they always have Google Plus integration. Like, that uh, Google Plus's traffic is 100% that shit. Like, there's no actual people on there that are doing anything. It's all people who are like, oh, I have to post on Google Plus because I have this integration. Kind of funny. In summation, I think that we are all actually in agreement that censorship yeah. is bad, but Alex Jones is a shipper. So it's in this one of these unique spots where I'm happy to see him get fucked, but unhappy for what it represents. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the side of, I don't, I don't think that censorship is the best way to go here. Like we said already, this guy's a crazy person, just some more fun. He thought that we were turning the frogs gay with our chemicals. He also thinks that the government has weather weapons that can control tornadoes and steer the direction in which they go. So this guy's literally a crazy person. But, um, once we start messing around with free speech, uh, we're messing around with something really uh, precious, and I think that we should treat it that way. You know, I it's definitely if I have to choose between taking away a little bit too much free speech or allowing too much free speech, that's not even a question for me. 
you know, like let the ideas flow and, and let the ignorant and worst ideas, you know, crash and burn, even if they get some followers. And I, I've said this for a long time. Like I like having ignorant people allowed to have their voice because it's going to make me look better. It's going to make my associates look better. If, if you can't it, like, if you can't find somebody to compare yourself that you're like way better than, then how good can you really be at whatever you're trying to do in life? <laughs> I'm definitely better than Alex Jones. Anything else we want to touch on this topic, guys? Not an entertainment, by the way. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's true. I, I need to start no. playing a. I need to start playing a character. Well, by the way, it's not a surprise that all his stuff is real, like post-apocalyptic and about to die, because that's how he makes his money. If you go to his website, his merchant store, it's all like, like post-apocalyptic preparation stuff, like definitely neckbeard, double sword, or you know whatever. Double sword. You know, like, I don't know if you're using like the right English that, word there. Somebody that watches The Walking Dead or something and whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I don't have to get into it. Apparently there's a walking. Says there's the walking only one of us with a neck beard. It's all over my face, Brent. <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast Roundtable number four on censorship. Please join our Discord like us and subscribe on youtube itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts thanks for tuning in that's it for us peace out the members of the crypto basic podcast are not telling you real news they're making stuff up in order to push their merchant store go check out our brand new products beard oil for neck beards beard oil for neck beards <laughs> and chubby crypto merchandise <laughs>